Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at We are back in. It is truly summertime. We thank you for finding us on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat rested host of the program. Although Stanley Cup final for my Champa Bay Lightning is coming up with Colorado. That means some late nights are coming once again uh, here with the Lightning going for the rare three-peat for hockey's holy grail. Anyway, good to be back with John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson of Sports Media Watch. Dot com fame. John, uh, good to talk to you again. And I know we've got a bunch of different subjects from NBA finals to a new television deal, an innovative deal for MLS uh, ratings conversation and much more. Good to check in with you again. How are things as we embark on another show? Well, you know, uh, things are still going. So that's good, right? So, you, got, you know, as long as you're still going, then that's the best you can say, we're, right? We're upright, one foot in front of yep. another, another and a lot to cover. Again, thank you for finding us. However you did so, John's site, sportsmediawatch.com, social media link, etc. cetera. Uh, more and more of you have been finding us, uh, obviously, through the other programs we have, including George Offman's program, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, still publishing new episodes right now here in the summer. Latest one has Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster Dave Wills on it. George has, again, kind of got a Chicago theme to his podcast, but he's had a bunch of different national broadcasters, whether it be Marv Albert or Michael Wilbon or Kevin Harlan or Bob Costas, et cetera, all in the library here on the Sports Media Watch feed. Dave Wills, an interesting story. Uh, John, just real quick, because he was a guy up through the radio ranks, not unlike TJ here, going third person on you, John, who was doing, you know, minor league baseball, doing local college basketball in Chicago, and eventually got his big break to come south with the Tampa Bay Rays. He and Andy Freed have now been on the radio for the Tampa Bay Rays for 18 seasons together as the radio team here. Dave's got some great stories. He's a tremendous guy. George Offman's podcast is on this feed, the podcast just previous to this one. Tell me a story I don't know with Dave Wills. And he's got some fascinating uh, guests that are still going to be upcoming that we look forward to uh, with kind of a, a Chicago tinge as the season unfolds. In fact, George was telling me, I may be letting the cat out of the bag, John Lewis, Greg Gumbel, 
who originally started as a Chicago sportscaster before his big heydays at ESPN and then later at CBS. Now he's been with CBS forever. Greg Gumbel uh, will be part of Georgia's upcoming sixth season this fall of Tell Me a Story. I don't know. How about that? Yeah. Uh, with the, do you remember? I know, I know I'm older than you. You don't remember Greg Gumbel and Chris Berman were the Sports Center mm-hmm. anchors weeknights yeah. in the 1980s, long well, before the CBS uh, days for him. I don't remember, but I certainly am aware. You know, uh, <laughs> he was one of the uh, the boys who were back in town, back for ESPN 25. Yes. The first time ESPN became obsessed with Thin Lizzy. And yes. they had certainly not dropped that ever since. But they invited all, it, it was the boys are back in town, even though one of them was Gail Gardner. So kind of didn't really apply right. to her, but right. the uh, they air invited quotes boys. Yeah. Yes, yes, continue. Yeah, they invited everybody back except for Olbermann. Uh, they, they, uh, <laughs> they forgot Olbermann's invitation. Which seems to be unfortunately a recurring theme with Keith everywhere that he's worked, that they invite everybody back but Olbermann, as it turns out. And by the way, Perfect segue. I know I'm pimping a lot on, on George's podcast. He talked to Keith Olbermann on his tell me a story. I don't know. It's in the archive. Go back and look. And we may we may bring that back at some point. And Olbermann tells two tremendous stories to George about how he almost was never at. Well, let's put it this way. He did he, after the ESPN Sports Center uh, decision to leave in the 90s. Olbermann almost became an afternoon drive Chicago sports radio host. I know this is a podcast and they can't see us. He was this close to agreeing to be local Chicago sports radio guy, but instead ended up taking the MSNBC deal and continued along on TV. Backing up even more, Olbermann has a phenomenal story about the 1981 Major League Baseball strike and him covering it Hmm. in and around CNN with another young reporter named Dan Patrick, by the way. Ah. Before they were ever on SportsCenter together, they were around CNN together. And Olbermann tells those stories again on George's podcast. So I thought I would just put that out there. But it's kind of funny that you mentioned it. Anyway, we circle back that ESPN's had a litany of like reunion shows and different right. broadcasts. That was your point, right? Broadcast yeah. stuff. But I have a different question because, you know, when sure. you said Dan Patrick, I didn't connect immediately that Patrick and Olbermann had even been partners for as long as they had been. So I'm asking a, a trivia question or not a trivia question, but right. an honest question. I'm genuinely curious. At this point, is Dan more associated with the Danettes, Paul Pabst and Fritzy and Seton and now Marv? Is he more associated with the Danettes than he is than he is with Keith Olbermann? I would say yes to that question. We can pose this to the audience. You can hit John up on uh, on the Sports Media Watch Twitter handle or on the site, sportsmediawatch.com. Uh, find him at Paulson underscore SMW, spell Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N. You always smirk at me when I try to spell off the top of my head. Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N underscore SMW. And maybe you disagree with that take audience. I don't know what John's take is. We're about to find out. But he and Olbermann were only together only on the big show, the sports center show, like what, four or five years. Dan yeah. is Dan is now like 13 or 14 years mm-hmm. in with the Danettes, 15 years in with the Danettes. I would say more associated with the Danettes for the longer yeah. term. I, I would agree. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, I mean, it was only five years and it was, I mean, it's not like they reinvented broadcasting. I mean, it was good, but you right. know, honestly, I think, I think Dan's legacy is the Dan Patrick show, not Sports Center, not any iteration of Sports Center. 
And certainly it has evolved that way, that that's what he's most known for. I mean, there's a there's a current viewership, younger viewership generation that knows nothing about him doing those sports center shows with Keith Olbermann. We're older. I'm older. You remember those. Uh, but it's a great point that you make that if you've been following, keeping up with Dan Patrick's TV show, his radio show, the stuff online, social media, it's the Danettes. It's Dan and the Danettes and the weekday radio show that has gone on for the better part of, uh, of 14 or 15 years. Um, so that's, that's a great question there on that. By the way, another plug, because it will be out later in the week, the Announcer Schedule podcast. Announcer Schedule podcast comes with uh, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont-Molin. Uh, they do a tremendous job of going over the different announcers, what they liked, what they didn't like. They've got some broadcast interviews, uh, et cetera. I believe, we got to tune in and find out, I believe Bob Wachusen of ESPN hmm. is on with them later this week. If you're on this very podcast feed, the Sports Media Watch podcast feed, you don't have to do anything. You'll get an automatic notification if you're following or subscribing through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get it. You'll get that podcast coming up next. There are partners here as part of Sports Media Watch and what we're doing. Um, so, yes, and they, you know, last week they had John Forslund, the hockey announcer, who's been doing the, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs on the radio, also national announcer with Turner and ESPN previously, uh, NBC previously. So they've had they've had some different interviews, and I believe it's Bob Wachusen this week on the show. Okay, so with all the promotional stuff, and I love that take there about Olbermann and uh, and Dan Patrick. With all that out of the way, let's get into the NBA. Begin with that. The time we're taping, Golden State has taken a three games to two lead on the cusp, John, of another championship. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. We have the game four ratings, which you are you are big on the ratings in the context of it. We don't have the game five ratings this fresh as we release the podcast. What are your thoughts, though, on what you're seeing with the ratings? Are they still holding strong for ABC and ESPN? Well, we do have the game five numbers, actually. Uh, so that's 13 million. That's the most watched game of the series, up 30% from last year and down 30% from 2019. So, uh, you know, look, the reality is 2019 was the Durant game. He came back for a quarter, Taurus Achilles, a tremendously dramatic game. Uh, really one of the best performances by Clay and Steph in their run. And it had 18.6 million viewers. Well, you know, Duke UNC for the final did have 18.6 million viewers this year, right? It's a different time. Uh, 13 million is the smallest game five audience for an NBA finals outside of the past two years since 2003. That was Spurs Nets on a Friday night. The Nets broke out their... Uh, throwback jerseys from the ABA because at that point <laughs> nobody cared about what was going on in that series. Uh, and um, that was uh, under nine, under 10 million uh, back in 03. So uh, every other game five has had more viewers. Uh, Spurs Pistons in 05 was in that same range though. Uh, so around 13 million for the Robert Ori game uh, where Rashid Wallace left Ori open. Yeah. Uh, big shot, Bob, right? Does it surprise you with how close the series has been that the game five did not do better a little bit. Yeah. That's not much of a lift, right? Game two, mm -hmm. game four to game five being just a million viewers. Uh, typically you will see a bigger lift. There was a bigger lift in the bubble uh, from game four to game five uh, from 7.7 .7 million to 9.2 million for, for the game five. Now, granted those numbers are awful from the bubble, but there was a bigger lift in the bubble for the game five, substantially bigger lift in 19 and even in 17, when it was 4-1, 16, you know, the last time there was such a small lift from game four to game five was 15, actually. 
uh, when game five was 20.9 million up from 19.8 million in game four, uh, much better days for the NBA as, uh, as we all know, but you know, look, the fact of the matter is there is, there's so many different ways to look at these numbers. They're obviously very unimpressive historically. I don't think it's unfair to point that out, but I do think that the argument from, you know, the NBA side of it would be, well, people are watching less TV. And there is some truth to that. The reality is game four on Friday night had a 6.2 rating and an 18 share. So 6.2 rating is 6.2% of the uh, total US TV homes were watching in the average minute. That's pretty bad for a finals game. In fact, it was the lowest game four rating in the finals since, oh man, I don't even know when, because I think 07 would have actually been ahead of that. Uh, in terms of ratings. So that's like the lowest game four rating in the finals, probably since 03. So, um, you know, game four, the 6.2 rating for game four is actually the lowest outside of the last two years for any finals game four since at least 87, right? So that's lower than Spurs Cavs. It's lower than Spurs Nets. It's a pretty low rating, but that 18 share, 18% of the televisions in use was up from 2019. 2019 was a 7.6 rating and a 17 share. 2022 was a 6.2 rating and an 18 share. So what that says is people are watching less TV. Yes. You know, and to so, the point, I was just going to say that you're making that point that the share doesn't represent the overall audience because there's less people there on exactly. linear TV. You know, now you could make the argument that, okay, well, even if the share is up, we're still talking about Raptors, Warriors, or Canadian teams, Warriors, Celtics should be doing better than that. And that's true. But I mean, I think the household rating and viewership tell part of the story, but they're not telling the full story because ultimately anything that we're going to discuss here has to factor in the lack of uh, television viewing. People what? are watching less TV. No doubt. One more point on this, and I don't know the answer. I'm sure the ratings are massive in Boston, but I, I, to my point a couple of weeks ago, and really as these finals have unfolded, is the hate factor registering in New York mm. or Philadelphia locally? Are they watching? I don't know that answer, and I would love to know how that factors in if the local New York, Philadelphia, and D.C. TV ratings are not any better, not keeping up with the national, especially New York, mm. uh, because they, they can help sway it a little bit if there's some audience if new york cares and we're going to bring that up with the with the stanley cup uh, uh playoff eastern conference final with the lightning and the rangers in a couple of minutes uh, on that but i just i wonder if in those local markets if it's registering the same way be, be, uh, beyond the average let's say beyond right. what the national average is and i don't know that answer but that would be a good I, thing to know i doubt it i mean i haven't seen those numbers myself but you know, the NBA kind of started to see a little bit of erosion in those out-of-market local numbers in the finals, even in 19. So I imagine that that's continued, uh, especially over the past couple of years. And, you know, look, I mean, the reality of the matter is that viewing habits have changed. Uh, and ultimately, you know, the NBA has kind of had this ability that baseball and hockey haven't had to have the national fan base tuning in. But as time goes on, it does seem like the NBA is subject to the same things those other leagues are subject to, which is once your team's out, so are you, right? And you may, and you may yeah. tune out. Well, but again, let's keep one other thing perspective in perspective that we keep repeating. And you keep saying this, and I keep saying this. 
that that live number in the summertime is yeah. destroying anything else that's on. Yeah, we should point we should continue to point that out. I mean, there's Absolutely. nothing. It's three times right, John, three times or four times more than anything oh. else that's on. Nothing else in broadcast TV even had more than three point three million viewers last night. I mean, you know, and you're talking about 13 million for the finals. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important point. Probably the most important point. The NBA is, is less popular as a TV draw than it has been, but it is so much more dominant than it has been because I mentioned this the other day, you know, in 1993, there were games between Jordan and Barkley in the finals, the second highest rated finals in NBA history that were losing to reruns of Roseanne and the, you know, uh, the home improvement. They really were. That's incredible. That's incredible that you would say that a rerun of a sitcom was getting an equal number of what? 25, 30 million. Well, I don't have the viewership, but the the, back then they would only show you the household rating Mm -hmm. and and homes. So I I can tell you, Roseanne had a 15.8 home improvement, had a 15.2 and game two of the finals, Jordan and Barkley had a 14.6. Amazing. Different time, different time now for TV, for sure. And in, uh, you know, in that context, in the context of what else was on the NBA today is a stronger television property than it was in the Jordan era, except for 98, 98, 98, those games were doing better than everything else on TV, but the other years of the Jordan era, and certainly in the magic and bird era in the magic and bird era, I mean, those ratings were kind of also rants. There's a reason why there were finals games on at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday, right? You know, I mean, even, even all the way to Jordan, his first finals game was 3.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday. The NBA was not dramatically better a draw than summer rerun fair. It was a good draw. NBC was happy to have it. NBC was getting better numbers, you know, uh, than they would have otherwise gotten during that time of year and able to compete with the kind of numbers that we get during the TV season. But, you know, today in the, in the vast post-apocalyptic wasteland of, of broadcast TV, not just the NBA, even the NHL is, you know, a ratings hit at this point. And certainly 13 million, I mean, I will say this, these NBA numbers compare less favorably to the last decade than they do to the 90s. Because of the way, because, I mean, look, four years ago, the NBA was getting 18 and 19 million viewers and the rest of TV was a little bit better, but not much better than it is today. So we know the NBA's dominance as strong as it is now. It might have been more dominant when LeBron and, and Curry were playing every other year or every single year. But, uh, you know, in the 90s, you know, you could, the, the N- NBC wasn't looking to preempt Seinfeld, right? There's a reason there were no correct. Michael Jordan never played a Thursday night finals game in his entire career. (laughs) Never did because NBC had the right to say not an accident. Yes. Yes, exactly. NBC had the rights and Michael Jordan wasn't going to make NBC take even a summer Thursday off from Jerry Seinfeld and Cheers and friends. And, you know, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when we talk about the NBA. Uh, well put on all of that. We're going to move off the NBA in a second, but first a little, uh, a little back and forth, maybe a hot take upcoming here. There's all this talk that if the Warriors finish this off, if they have to win either a game six in Boston, or it will go to a game seven, obviously for golden state in San Francisco to be able to win another championship, the word dynasty being thrown around. And we'll get to my Champa Bay lightning in a moment with that D word dynasty. Do you John 
believe the Warriors should be considered a dynasty if they get another championship here? If so, why so? If not, why not? Well, anytime you win four titles in eight years, I mean, that's certainly, you know, I think really a dynasty is a team that dominates the time period that they're in. If the Bulls were a dynasty when they took two years off and another team won back-to-back championships in the middle of their run, then why shouldn't the Warriors be? Obviously, the Warriors have lost two finals. The Bulls never lost any. But realistically, you know, the Warriors faced tougher competition than the Bulls did. I mean, they faced LeBron and the Cavs with, you know, a pretty decent supporting cast those first three years, and then Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. I mean, you know, the Bulls faced great teams, but uh, the West was not as strong in that era uh, as, uh, you know, as, as all that. And um, ultimately, I would say, why shouldn't the Warriors be considered a dynasty, right? I mean, they, if they win Have they won and- enough recently? Because this would be the first one since 2018. Help me, right, if I'm, if yeah. I'm wrong on that. This first, the first one since 2018, if they get it in this one. The argument would be they haven't won enough recently to come back around to dynasty. They were more dynastic four, four years ago when it was the third one in, what, four or five years, whatever right. it, it, it amounted to. You the only that? argument... Well, the only argument that I would say against the Warriors is that they won two of them by stacking the deck, right? But, but everybody oh, had that same opportunity. I've heard you bring that up and others are bringing that up. Everybody had the same opportunity to land free agents, work it into the cap. Just, you, know. You, know, may, you know, so be it. But, you know, they, 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 they won two titles by completely stacking the deck, right? And that's, to me, the only mark. I wouldn't necessarily say against them, but it's the only mark that makes me look at them as less impressive than, say, you know. The Was dynasty. it any less stacking the deck when the three-peat happened for the Lakers in the early 2000s and they were bringing in the free agents? You mentioned Robert Ory or, or whomever they had, John Sally, Ron Harper. I'm going off the top of my head here to help supplement what they had with Shaq and with Kobe. I mean, adding adding to and bringing the best players in has gone on in the NBA for a, for a long time. But the, those Lakers aren't a great example at all. Robert Ory, who, what had he done between Houston and L.A.? He'd thrown a towel in Danny Ainge's face, right? Rick Fox, who had never been really all that good playing for the Celtics, had really been, you know, well, I, I shouldn't say he hadn't been all that good, but certainly he was on a very bad Celtics team for a while. Not championship level. Agreed. No, not, not playoff level, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Derek Fisher was a Laker from the beginning. Uh, you know, John Sally was, he went from the booth at NBC, went from the studio with Hannah Storm and Peter Vesey. And, you know, that's certainly not a ringer, right? That's not Durant. Uh, Ron Harper was a great pickup. They tried to get Scotty, couldn't get Scotty, ended up at Portland. That was actually, honestly, if we're talking about dynasties, you know, those Lakers, uh, I mean, obviously Shaq was so dominant. But uh, of all the dynastic teams in the history of the NBA, they're probably near the bottom of the pack in terms of being impressive because it, it really, they had Shaq and they had Kobe and that was it. They had a great supporting cast of guys who could make big shots down the stretch, but none of the, they did, I mean, they had Horace Grant and Ron Harper. And I would say those were really the only ring chasers. They didn't have those ring chasers. And they eventually had Malone and Stockton. There you go. Uh, Malone and Peyton, right. Right after that, we're trying to get it, and they never got it, by the way, when we're talking about stacking teams. And just one more point on this. The whole dynasty thing comes up with the Celtics of the 60s or UCLA basketball of the late 60s, the early 70s, Green Bay Packers of the 60s, Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s that won four in uh, in six years, or uh, Gino Oriyama's UConn ladies that seemingly won it 
every year in the 90s and the 2000s. When you think about dynasty, you're thinking about dominating a decade by winning seven, eight, nine times in a decade, which is almost impossible to do for any professional sport, especially in the present day because of the salary cap, free agency, you can't keep your team. That's going to lead us into the lightning in a second. But when you think dynasties, you think of those ones I just lifted, listed yeah. off because they got a sixth title in a decade or a seventh title or even more in a decade, John. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, that's always impressive. But, you know, to me, I think, uh, I think, look, I mean, with the Celtics of the 60s, we're talking about a very, I'm not going to be, you know, Look, I have a lot of respect for J.J. Redick, but when he says stuff like those players who are plumbers and milkmen, he's either not taking his job seriously or doesn't know as much about basketball as uh, he should. Uh, the reality is those teams had great, tremendous players, but it was also a league with reduced competition, fewer rounds of playoffs. And, you know, I mean, that does factor in, um, you know, as far as you know, some of those other teams that won a number of, you know, the Steelers. And I mean, yeah, those might rank bet, you know, rank higher than what the Warriors are doing, but for four and seven years or four and eight seasons, I should say, I think qualifies as a dynasty, you know, uh, is Fair it enough. the greatest dynasty of all time? It's, it's not as great as the Bulls dynasty, right. You know, but um, four and eight years, that's pretty close to what the, the Spurs had, what, five and 15. And people seem to want to, you know, put the rose petals out for, for them. So I don't see why they aren't a dynasty. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member for $90 more. I can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more. You'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach sweat platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fair enough here as John Lewis has given us these comments. All right, so that segues into the hockey and my Champa Bay Lightning. I keep saying it that way. Go for a three-peat that has not been done. Speaking of dynasties, we'll mention the New York Islanders are the last team to make three consecutive Stanley Cups. That's a fascinating question that you can trip people up with that Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier's Edmonton Oilers of the 80s never made three in a row. Uh, Mario Lemieux and the Penguins of the 90s never made three in a row. Nobody going back to the Islanders has made three in a row. The Islanders won four in a row and actually made it the fifth year, and Edmonton beat them in 1984. All right, the ratings, they got a bump from this weekend and the Eastern Conference Final with the Rangers. John, give me a little more on that and some some context. Well, you know, uh, the the Game 7 would have been tonight, and it would have been on both ESPN and ABC. So that would have been a uh, tremendous rating. But Game 6 on Saturday night, most-watched game of the playoffs with 2.84 million viewers on uh, ESPN. 
you know, that's a great number uh, for the NHL. I'm yep. a little surprised no game has gotten 3 million viewers yet, honestly, um, just because the, the, the Rangers played two game sevens and a game six. Uh, you know, there was a lot going for this postseason from a viewership perspective, uh, and it's, it's done well. But, you know, I'm, I, I am a bit surprised, especially with the out-of-home juiced baseballs that we, we're seeing, that there was no 13, 3 million mark. So, um, but, you know, I mean, I think if you're ESPN and ABC, you got to be thrilled uh, with uh, the matchup, right? If you have to have a matchup of teams that didn't exist, you know, 30 years ago, then this is a matchup you want uh, a, a team that is going for three straight versus yep. a team in Colorado that, you know, uh, they're a recent team, but they they were successful so long ago. It almost feels like they're an in, they're a, they're an original six team, even though they have only been around in their current iteration since the mid '90s. So I think uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think ultimately it's going to be a very strong final because people are talking about it as if it's going to be really high quality, uh, one of the better ones. So I wonder, I mean, the New York team was involved, obviously, in that higher rating. It being on ESPN helps. Everything on ESPN, you said this before, every sports bar by default has ESPN on. Every hotel room uh, in the first 10 channels of the hotel, ESPN is usually on the TV in the first 10 channels. That's a big deal. And the New York market helped that Eastern Conference final because, again, when New York is there, there's more audience. Do you believe it will hurt some the fact that it's not New York, Colorado, and we might see that Stanley Cup final number dip down because it's Tampa Bay, Colorado? Well, we know right off, even if New York had won, we know that it wasn't going to, it was going to beat the last few years, of course. You know, Montreal, Tampa Bay, nobody wanted Montreal in that final last year. I mean, uh, you know, a, a middling team, back-to-back years, making it in only because the playoff format is different. They didn't, you know, the, the, the arena was pretty much empty for those games. Nobody wanted yes. Montreal in there. The Golden Knights blowing the game, I think it was game three, when they had the goalie error, uh, really screwed things up. Uh, and so that series did not do very well. And of course, in the bubble, I mean, Dallas, who even remembers that Dallas made it. That was even worse than the NBA bubble because the NBA at least had all the video screens to make it look lively. The NHL just had them skating around under mm-hmm. tarps. I mean, Mike Emmerich wasn't even there. That was terrible. So obviously it'll be the last few years. Now, will it beat 2019? Maybe, because remember 2019, you have the two games in NBCSM. 2019, all five games in NBC, this is Blues Bruins, were at least 5 million viewers. That is unusual for a cup final. Uh, well, I say it's unusual, but as I look, all three games in 18 were over 5 million on NBC as well. They had so, done a good job, NBC, yeah. of kind of growing it as a at the lower level as a right. destination, watch it or whatever, and then right. everything has happened that you've well documented since right. then to be able to get it back. Yeah, so, you know, uh, but... Every uh, all five games in NBC in 19 and all three in NBC in 18 were over 5 million. Uh, 19, it went the full seven, finishes with the all time record for an NHL game in the current era of 8.7 million. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be hard to beat. You know, 8.7 million. You know, it would, be, had- it would be shocking. I don't care if Tampa Bay's going for the clinch and the three peat. It would be shocking yeah. if it gets anywhere near 6 million. I'm saying that. You buy that? You agree with that? It would be shocking if it gets to that high. I for think. a game seven? I think even for a game seven in the current circumstances, Tampa right. Bay, Colorado, and knowing what we know, I mean, right. 
uh, for goodness sake, if, if uh, to your analogy, if Steph Curry and a prominent uh, championship drive here against a big market like Boston yeah. can't get back to 2018 or 2017 level or close to it, yeah. As You're much right. as I want to see what the lightning do, I can't, I don't know that I can see that there's going to be 6 million people suddenly watch 3 million or 4 million more, even in a clinching game or a game seven. I, I, I detect you might disagree with that. Well, I feel like 6 million is pretty low for a game seven of the cup final. You got to go back. Uh, you know, let me see if I've got my chart uh, here. What did the game um, five do last year? You mentioned for all five? the reasons, the game five, the clinching game, lightning Montreal. Oh yeah. That was like 3.5 million. So, so there's a reference point that that right. was the clinching game. And for the reasons you gave, it didn't have as much sizzle, but I don't know that this is going to have that much more sizzle with Tampa Bay and Colorado. Would it have sizzle if it was the Rangers going for a first Stanley cup in 28 years. And let's say they're playing Colorado. Maybe it would have a little more. That's just my speculation. Well, so here's my thought game five, game seven, Edmonton, Carolina in 06 was 5.3 million. That's really low for a game seven. Uh, Every other game seven since has been at least eight, at least 7.99 million. Right. Uh, To me, you know, six million. That I mean, you never know. You know, I I think the NHL has done well enough this postseason that I'm not expecting anything close to 2019. But if it gets to a seventh game, I mean, I would say seven million could be on the table. I mean, you would think seven okay. million. It's not that 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 not that high for a game interesting season. that this will be going on for a couple of weeks here while we do the podcast, including next week, because game one, as we are releasing the podcast is Wednesday night game two, not until Saturday game three back here in West central Florida, where I am is not until Monday. And then they're going every other night, Wednesday, Friday, if necessary, Sunday, if necessary into next well, week. And we'll see if it builds. I can already hear all the people talking about how tough hockey players are as opposed to the soft basketball players. But I should point out the only reason that it's every other day, and it would have been every other day at the series started Monday, uh, excuse me, Saturday. So they're getting the two days off because it moved up. The only reason for the every other day format is because the NHL wants to get this over by July, right? Game seven would have been July 30th, right? So they, they, the original June 18 start is the latest they could have started and finished all of it by July one. So um, if you go back to 19 and the before times, the NHL actually had the NBA's spread out schedule with the two nights for travel. So um, St. Louis, Boston was Monday, Wednesday, two days off, Saturday, Monday, two days off, Thursday, two days off, Sunday, two days off, Wednesday. So that is probably where the NHL is going to go back to. I just want to point that out because, uh, you know, hockey fans do have this annoying habit of trying to act like, you know, uh, you know, hockey players are, you know, superhuman and uh, everybody else, NBA players in particular is, you know, are, I, I will, I will say this though. I mean, they take a puck to the face. They take a broke, you know, broken hand, broken foot, and they still are out there and trying. And so there is something to that. Not, not so over the top that nobody else is tough in the NFL or the NBA or whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll see, but your point is well taken on the rest being more previously than, than what it is now. And we'll see how all of this will play out. Hey, one quick one. And I don't know the answer. Are they going to continue to do, if you know, the two man booth with Sean McDonough and with Ray Ferraro down inside the glass, not sitting beside him. It's not a three man broadcast, which we've seen NBC use in the past, which we saw Turner do in the past, 
because if they're doing that, I'm on the front end saying it's not as good a broadcast. If McDonough doesn't have the analyst next to him with a third person down in the glass, it's not as good. And if ESPN's continuing that, I'm knocking that before we ever see a game, John. That's just me. Well, I don't know yet. They haven't put out the press release uh, as of yet. Um, I think ultimately, I doubt they're going to make any changes. They've been going McDonough. Well, I, you know, it'll probably be Brian uh, Boucher. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Boucher will probably be in with them because I believe that was originally the plan that it would be a three person booth there. So well, maybe we'll maybe they'll put him in there and he'll be in the booth or or whatever. You know, it's kind of like the Booger Mobile a little bit. Right. You know, I mean, just put them all in the booth together. Right. <laughs> Booger McFarland, who is a Tampa yeah. Bay guy, still lives here. Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Indianapolis Colt. And I still remember working Buccaneer sideline radio and almost getting run over by the Booger Mobile on more than wow. one occasion for the games that he's doing. It's like. What are we doing here, people? Got a little TV, got a little TV set and TV studio for him on wheels. What could possibly go wrong with all the people that are down trying to do their jobs on the sideline? Well, I I did just want to know this is a this is a meaningless stat. No one could possibly care about it. But it is true that uh, tonight and tomorrow or tomorrow, actually. So Wednesday and Thursday will be the first times that a single network has carried NBA and NHL final games back to back since ABC did in 2004 when it had game five of the cup final on Saturday, game one of the NBA finals on Sunday, game two of the cup or game seven of the cup final when the lightning won their first one on Monday Mm -hmm. and then game two of the NBA finals on Tuesday. So a little bit of history there, ABC, just like they did back in the early two thousands airing both the NBA and NHL finals at the same time. And if you remember in 03, the first year they did it, the Nets were in the finals in the NBA. The Devils were in the final in the NHL. And uh, if I recall, I think they had uh, the NHL guys on the NBA halftime show, Barry Melrose and maybe John Saunders uh, for, uh, for, for, for that. Yeah. I did not remember the Nets being there with the Devils in 03. You're great for the historical mm-hmm. reference on that. And you're right, because we lived it here uh, with the Lightning beating the Calgary Flames in the middle of those uh, NBA finals uh, as well in a, in a game seven, in a thrilling game seven, uh, when it shouldn't have to, happened because of course you keep, the... you keep <laughs> saying, you keep saying that, that Calgary was, uh, the disputed goal in game yeah. six. And I keep saying to you, just like the Buckner ball between the legs in 86, babe, they had a game seven, they had a game seven mm-hmm. where they still could have won it and didn't win it. Uh, so in any, in any, and the game seven, by the way, that the Red Sox were leading, uh, if you go back and look in the 86 world series, and the Mets still came back on them and beat them. In any event, I think we are ready to move on. Let's do it. Love it or leave it. Subject number one, Major League Soccer has announced a new television deal with Apple Plus, a new broadcast deal to make them the exclusive home. John, details, and do you love this for that well, league, or are you leaving it? You know, it is uh, I mean, I guess it's the future of sports television. You wouldn't think that MLS would be the groundbreaker here, given we're not talking about the, the you know, a, a league that's had a tremendous amount of success in terms of drawing a, a, an audience. But, you know, this is pretty much what I think the NBA is eventually going to do. Maybe not in this deal, but eventually, um, you know, if the NBA wants to get that 75 billion, you know, they're going to have it's going to that's to me going to be maybe a model to think about like you probably can't do it but i mean imagine how much apple or amazon would be willing to pay for every single solitary nba game exclusivity right exactly 
So, you know, I don't think that can happen immediately. I don't know how that would work with the RSNs. But to me, if you want to get 75 billion over the course of a, a, a contract, every single solitary game would be a good place to start. So from that perspective, it's a groundbreaking deal. Will it grow the, uh, the MLS audience? I don't think so. I think you've kind of created now, uh, you know, look, let's be real. The MLS audience is the Apple TV Plus audience, right? You know, it's very much demographically similar, at least if we were to base that on kind of the way Apple tries to present itself as kind of a bit more of the cultured, you know, uh, urban kind of, you know, uh, uh, and uh, platform, right? The Ted Lasso platform. Well, what better place to have MLS matches than, Ted, than the Ted Lasso streaming service, right? So from that perspective, you're kind of creating a preaching to the choir type thing, right? But maybe if you're MLS and you struggle to grow your audience, you just cater to the audience you have. And, and you cash in, by the way. Yeah. We, should, yeah. we should emphasize they're getting a bunch more money to do this. But it's, it's also going to lead to the NFL in the fall and this Amazon Prime deal that we're going to talk more about in, in just a second, where uh, they're, they're going to have, I'm just on the front end again on this, they're going to have so many people revolt and be upset that they can't see the games. And I wonder if MLS is going to suffer a little bit at the lower level on this, that they're not on ESPN anymore, or they're not on oh, Fox Sports 1 on the deal, are they? Are they yeah, going to be on ESPN through this deal with Apple Plus, well, with MLS? It, it's kind of surprising to me. But my understanding is that based on both the Athletic and Sports Business Journal, ESPN, FS1, and Univision are all in talks to maintain a piece of the pie. They're obviously not going to pay what they're paying. I thought I saw exclusivity. exclusivity on Apple Plus. Right. What, exactly. is, this, is this the new uh, Bill it, it, Clinton version of depends on what the definition of is oh, is? Wow. What is that? Well, I'm just going to go there. What does exclusivity mean if it doesn't mean you're the only one that has it? Right. What, well, what it means it? that you get to air every game and some games that air on ESPN will also be available on Apple TV. Plus, that ain't right? exclusive. So it's not. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's look, the reality is they, they have to maintain some level of linear TV presence or else it'll be you know, not smart. Uh, and, you know, if they can get a handful of games on ABC, then, you know, you still wow, want to try right. to reach other, you know, but again, I mean, it, it, everything will be on Apple TV plus. The point of this is that now, if you are an MLS fan, you can decide to watch every single solitary game for one subscription. And that is what all sports fans are looking for. You know, even, even at a high expense, if they know, wait, if I pay this, I get every single game. It's not that I get every single game except for the ones that I can't watch in my market because I have to watch them on the RSN or I get right, every single right. game except for the ones that are on national TV, you know, or I get every single game except in the playoffs. Like nobody wants that. So what MLS is doing is ultimately the future because you're going to have to cater, you know, you have to meet, meet people where they are and people are not interested in, in that kind of thing. All right. We'll find out if what that, uh, what exactly exclusive means or not. I'm like, when we wrap up the podcast, we're about to go have dinner in the Reeves kitchen. And I can assure you that it's my wife, my twins and me, and it's exclusive. We're not inviting anybody over as much as I'd like to have you over for dinner. It's exclusive. That's it's exclusive in that case. Yeah. Uh, good enough. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Speaking of Amazon Prime, uh, the reporting of Andrew Marchand of the New York Post says that Carissa Thompson, Fox Sports personality, uh, who's been doing a bunch of pregame coverage with the NFL, et cetera, will be the Amazon Prime host. 
John, a thought or two on this. And how about the love it or leave it thing that maybe Amazon Prime did not want Kay Adams, the former host of Good Morning Football, to apparently have that role. She was rumored to be in that role. Don't know where she's going to end up. But what about the love it or leave it here on Amazon Prime making this move? Well, you know, Carissa has been doing this for quite a while. She's been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, I mean, it is an interesting thing in this industry, right? Because the older you get, if you're a man, you're experienced. The older you get, if you're a woman, it's a different story, right? Yep. But we're starting to see that change a little bit. I mean, Melissa Stark getting that Sunday night football job at 48 is pretty, you know, like out of step with what the trend has been for many years. Now, you might be able to keep your job into your four, late 40s and 50s and even 60s, like Pam Oliver, uh, who, who just turned 60, but you don't get the new job at 48 as a woman in this industry, right? So maybe we're starting to see things change a little bit, right? We're, we're being a, a, a long-tenured veteran. I would, I would say, though, too, Holly Rose, another uh, example recently of getting an NBA job with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's true. So that's just another one, but you're right. It's rare. It's rare that yeah, you end up getting yeah. those. But in any in any event, what do we, I mean, the Kay Adams thing was being reported and rumored. I have to believe uh, just from the standpoint, she was in a prominent role in a prominent situation. There's got to be something comparable coming for her. Right. I would well, think would this think. fall with the football season, you would think. Well, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the Catherine Tappan situation all over again, right? Where it's like, oh, well, we all thought that uh, this person was the heir apparent, and then they weren't. Um, you know, leaving that On good the morning- NBC sideline for football, exactly. which right. she's not going to be. Right. And, you know, leaving that uh, pretty cushy gig there, you know, uh, the other guy, Brandon, who is that other guy? Yeah, he works for CBS. I should probably know his name. It's pretty Which famous. one? Nate Where Burleson. We- there we go. Nate Burleson. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Nate Burleson left Good Morning Football for, you know, CBS, the CBS Morning Show. And granted, very few people watch the CBS Morning Show. And the NFL Today and for a bunch more money. Yes. Right. But, you know, I mean, well, he was already on the NFL Today. So it it was just adding the CBS Morning Show. But, you know, I mean, that was a he, he left for greener pastures, even though we all know the viewership isn't very strong for that CBS Morning Show. So for Kay Adams to leave and have no immediate, you know, landing spot is pretty surprising it's very easy to you know it's like what is it uh, one of those childhood games you get up from the chair and someone sits in the chair and you're out of the game musical chairs musical right? chairs yes yeah. it's kind it's of been what like it's that. been with the broadcasters yeah were you, you don't want to get at, were you any good at that at musical chairs i was um, only okay yeah i was i was okay at it it wasn't it wasn't you could great, anticipate but... the stopping of the music right music yeah uh, Music ending, you always want to have a chair. You always want to have a seat. Let's move on. Another one. Love it or leave it. Uh, interesting uh, here. The the Live Golf Tour did debut online. I did watch some of it last week. And now we have the buildup. We have the United States Open Golf, uh, one of the biggest events on, on a worldwide golf stage. The U.S. Open playing out on NBC this weekend. And some of those live golfers, the live golf tour is the breakaway new international tour. The PGA Tour is not happy. Again, it's worth yep. noting the PGA Tour does not control this event, the U.S. Open. They're welcoming in Dustin Johnson, John, Phil Mickelson, the rumor is that Bryson DeChambeau, the U.S. Open recent yeah. champion, is also going to join these guys on this Live Golf Tour. Love it or leave it, will you watch a little of this? And we do have a little professional wrestling bad guy heel angle that could amp up the ratings of the U.S. Open a little bit. Thought? 
Well, you know, as I've said before, I, I'm, you know, it's a rare occasion for me to watch the majors, mm-hmm. much less a regular PGA Tour tournament, much less some random nonsense that was cobbled together in the last three weeks, right? So for me, you know, I have no interest. But I do find it fascinating, the general, you know, the uh, turf war that's going on here. One, I think the PGA Tour has been dressing up its its objection to this as some kind of human rights kind of deal. I don't feel like the PGA tour has generally been consumed with the topic of human rights. So I don't, I think 99% of this for the tour is they don't like that. These players are defecting and they don't like the competition. The color of green money is what is at the root of this. Yes. Yeah. And I, I tour. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, when all is said and done, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that the PGA tour, if the Saudis came in with a, you know, a, a bucket of money said, you know, and said, we want in that they would agree, but I don't think they, I don't know that they would say no. Right. So I think the Saudi aspect is important, but I don't think that's what's motivating. And we should clarify because not everybody's a golf fan. I'm big into golf. The European tour has played in the Middle East and in Saudi Arabia for years. And there's not been a problem. The PGA tour and the European tour have come together for something called the world golf championship. And they played it in communist China, by the way, previously, and have held it there numerous different times. So to your point about the whole human rights thing and and the and politics and whatever, it is more about the money and the PGA Tour realizes what a threat this is to their foundation, their money, but and you what know, they have. The other thing too is, have they gotten a single person that most golf fans like? I mean, Phil, but we're talking about Patrick Reed, DeChambeau, yep. you know, I mean, like, uh, give me some other names. because Villains, really, right, villains. Yeah, well, Sergio. Sergio, Sergio is also a villain. That's true. Yeah. It's a good point. But some of that sells. Some of that, again, is back to the whole, the hate villain, air quotes. Vi- villains sell when there's a hero around true. to beat them. True. Villains just by themselves. I mean, I guess people watched what was it, Suicide Squad? It was right. about the villains, and I don't even know what else. But you gotta, you there. gotta have Batman going along with the Joker. I get it. You well, as to... long as he's not played by Ben Affleck, right? Okay, but... yeah, good dig there uh, on that. But I mean, yes, Ali, Ali was uh, b- believed to be the hero when he was fighting Joe Frazier or George Foreman. Uh, the you know whoever the hero, pick one supposedly is in any of these sports. There's got to be good right. guy, bad guy. Yeah. See if it works. I mean, you can't just have people don't you you can't just have a league full of like Draymond Green and Draymond's the only player in it. (laughs) You got to have some folks. And, you know, I hey, I like Draymond, the TV analyst, but we all know people don't really like him. Right. And, you know, these these golf guys, they don't even have what Draymond has because Draymond at least has a certain amount of charm on TV that kind of leavens his obnoxiousness on the court. I mean, Patrick Reed, people seem to really, I mean, they, they've got a lot of Evander Canes out there. They don't have Draymond Greens. They've Ooh, got a lot of analogy Evander there Kanes. for the hockey, if that is the case. Well, uh, I mean, it, you know, Evander Kane, it's not that people dislike Evander Kane. They really find him to be an objectionable person. They hate now, maybe they, maybe they I'm hate, going too they far. Hate the, well, no, they but. hate they hate the way he plays. He's been suspended uh, by the league for a couple of different uh, situations, including a fake vaccination card. He gave a lot of people ammo on love to hate, takes cheap yeah. shots at players. So that, but yes, you got to have the good guys. You got to then balance yeah. that with Sidney Crosby or in our market, uh, Steven Stamkos or Connor McDavid in Edmonton or Nathan McKinnon in Denver with the Colorado Avalanche. You balance the good guys with the villains that, uh, that only want to hit people 
I understand. Good versus bad. One more. One more before we're gone. Love it or leave it. College Baseball World Series. I know the ratings were down for the ladies' uh, softball World Series. College Baseball World Series coming. The presumptive number one team in the country all year long got knocked out in the Super Regionals, Tennessee. So they'll play the College World Series in Omaha without the top team, allegedly, uh, in it. John, love it or leave it. Will you check some of this out as it begins into this weekend and next week? You know, I once had the opportunity to like work college baseball games and like Buster Posey was playing in them. Like it wasn't, you know, he's right. a superstar, but it, it's my recollection is that these were tremendously boring events that yeah, like this. I don't even remember the game, even though I must have worked the whole game because I feel like my mind blanked the rest of it. Here's the thing about college baseball. I just I personally you know, I'm glad that people are interested in it, uh, which, you know, but uh, I I had to look up who's in it. We got Oklahoma, Texas, A&M, Notre Dame, Texas, Arkansas, Stanford, Mississippi and Auburn. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I actually find I mean, I don't watch the softball either. I really right. don't. And, but and their I mean, ratings dipped a little bit. Yeah. And Oklahoma clobbered Texas yeah. in the best of three, two straight games. Right. They were not close games, so maybe that factored in. But the the softball is at least a little bit more watchable because it's so much shorter, you know? I mean, right. it's not three hours of your time. And I don't know. It also just seems to be a little bit livelier uh, than, than the college baseball. I don't know if that's maybe because, you know, college baseball is just a little bit – Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the aluminum bats. I don't know. But college yeah. baseball, I, well, I can't. One other factor besides the SEC is Notre Dame is one of the teams you mentioned. They've not been in the College World Series in 20 years. They're the ones that knocked out Tennessee, too. And a lot of people were applauding them because Tennessee has been a bit cocky, arrogant this regular season. They were in the College World Series last year. So maybe the Notre Dame factor, and bear in mind, we know this before we depart, ESPN wants to fill up the nights. Mm-hmm. But they do not have NBA finals and Stanley yeah. Cup finals coming every night. Well, besides they, Major League Baseball, they want to have something there, and this will be something else that's there. Well, there's always these complaints every year that the women's schedule isn't as good as the men's. Well, then you're going to have to push the women's schedule back a little bit because ESPN is so much more free space now than they did. The NBA playoffs is only on ABC the rest of the way, NHL only on ABC the rest of the way which means ESPN can just parcel out those men's college games night after night after night in primetime every night. Well, the women are going on, you know, ESPN is still in the middle of a conference finals in the right. NHL. Right. They right. have to put a game on ESPN too. So they're going to have to push that back. And really, is there any reason for the women's college world series to be at a different time of year than the men's? I mean, they're not even the same place. So just like do it like with the men's tournament and the women's tournament in basketball, because uh, realistically, you know, for, you know, I, I think, I mean, what else is on ESPN for the next several, for the next couple of weeks? This is the month, the late, mid to late June and into early July, where you run out of stuff and it's primarily Major League Baseball. And that's it. We'll see. Okay. In closing, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Anything else, John, before we depart on another episode here? Anything else on your mind? Um, no, not really. You know, it's what, uh, just trying to stay cool, right? Uh, so whether, uh, you know, and that's another, that is interesting. I'll be very curious to know as uh, these heat waves, uh, get more intense over time, what, what, what impact that has on, you know, I mean, are we going to start seeing heat 
delays and heat outs and things like that. That'll be, uh, I, I wouldn't say interesting, but certainly something to keep an eye on. Or more retractable roof stadiums being built for billions of dollars. That's another well, way to hey, it's no big deal. The taxpayers will cover it. Just, like <laughs> Just ask the owners. Uh, John, thank you. Always appreciate the time here on the podcast and the takes. And we encourage everybody to read the site as well. Thank you, John Lewis. Hey, no problem. There's John Lewis, SportsMediaWatch.com. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, however you found this podcast and this feed, follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Also, uh, again, give a listen. George Offman, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is on this podcast feed. Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Mullen with the Announcer Schedules podcast. You get all of that right here on this feed. For now, we are good. Read the site, SportsMediaWatch.com for more of the takes. We're back soon with the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.